Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. everybody and welcome once again to the show made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. NASCAR, well it sits up near the very top of the world motorsport tree is one of the biggest car racing series on the planet. And today we're joined by an Australian who is playing a very important role. Melbourne born and raised James Small is the first full-time Aussie entrusted as the crew chief in the unforgiving circus that is NASCAR. James is the man who calls the shots for his driver who just happens to be one of the biggest stars in the sport, and also for his team owner, who just happens to be one of the biggest figures in all of American sport. James Small, great pleasure to have you on the show, and welcome aboard. Yeah, thank you for having me. We are speaking, what, three days after the season wrapped up uh, over in Phoenix, Arizona. What what sort of fatigue lives in you right now after after the campaign? Yeah, a lot. Um just been trying to catch up on a lot of sleep and and like always I usually get home from the last race of the year and I start to get sick it's like it all catches up to me so uh yeah the, the throat's a little sore but um yeah just just trying to you know get back into a normal swing of life because uh it's just grueling what we do you know week in week out yeah everything you do is far from normal and it started all the way back in February in Los Angeles it must feel like a lifetime ago so you spoke a bit to it there, but how demanding is it? So in the AFL over here, you know, we're, we're basically shot after 28 weeks and you guys are running 36 races and crisscrossing all over the US to do it. Yeah, that's that's right. And then uh, it's 36 championship races, then you throw in a couple of other ones. So it actually ends up being, uh, you know, 38 weekends in 40 weeks. So uh, it's just, yeah, back and forth. And as you said, we started in LA and then we're down to Florida and back out to the West Coast and, you know, back and forth every week, even if we are flying, you know, to the racing in the West Coast. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of time spent on cramped airplanes and, uh, you know, a lot of time away from the family. And, uh, yeah, it's tough, but, you know, I, I couldn't imagine myself doing anything different. I love it. That's no, a great place to be, isn't it? So your car, number 19, is driven by, you know, one of the biggest stars in the sport, the former series champion, Martin Truex Jr. So you finished the regular season on top of the points, didn't you? But then you had a horror playoff series. I was doing a bit of reading about this last night. Sorry to speak so frankly. But how do you reflect on a season that, you know, potentially I'm assuming leaves a, a bit of a bitter taste like that? Yeah, definitely. You know, up until, you know, the first 26 races, it'd been a great year. You know, we'd, we'd racked up a lot of points, a lot of wins, um, you know, everything was going smooth. And, uh, you know, we started the playoffs when they reseed everything, you know, equal first. And, you know, we went out first practice of the first race weekend and like, we're crazy fast. And then we hit the wall, um, you know, and then from that point on, it's just like everything went wrong. Uh, you know, had, you know, issues in qualifying, issues in the race, loose wheels, going down laps the weekend after we punctured a right rear tire on the third lap and crashed. And it just, you know, you name it, it kind of went wrong. You know, we it's just every round there was a race, you know, or two that something, you know, catastrophically went wrong. And, and you know, the speed was always there. The car was always up front. And, uh, 
you know, it's just frustrating. You know, it's hard to pick yourself back up every week and, and get back on with it. But, you know, we managed to do that and we're right there, you know, until the last race heading into the into the final round with a chance to make it. But sadly, it didn't work out. So I'm curious with those frustrations and I guess, um, you know, that volatility, what, how are relations for everyone, you know, between you and Martin, the engineers, the pit crew, other drivers, other teams? It's a bit like a school camp, isn't it? And And at the end of it all, does everyone need just a bit of a break from living in each other's pockets for 10 months? Yeah, it really is a bit like that. But, you know, we have a great team. Uh, you know, nothing ever gets us down, you know, especially, you know, the guys on the 19 crew. You know, we, we've been through a lot together, a lot of up and downs, but, you know, a lot of success. And, you know, that keeps driving us. You know, it's that, it's almost like a, you're almost like a drug addict or something. Like just, you need that one taste of winning and then, you know, you can go through many weeks and it's just you're in a really, really lows and then you get that hit again and after winning a race and, uh, you know, it picks you back up. So, you know, we're all out there fighting and, you know, Martin is as well. And, uh, you know, it's great to have a break, but, you know, we're already trying to plan when we're going to catch up and have a few drinks together. <laughs> we're a crazy bunch of people. I love it. And your, so James, your workload. So what are we talking uh, here in season? Like, what do you, what does your average week look like? I mean, how much commitment and how much does it ask of you? Yeah, so typically I'll start it from a Sunday night when we return from a race. And, you know, um, you know, in my role, we're back in the shop, you know, first thing Monday morning. Uh, we've got me- a lot of meetings on Monday uh, and debriefing. and uh, But you're straight away working in, in into next week, trying to make sure the car's right, all the body scan, the setup, working on all the simulation stuff. Um and, you know, on a typical week, we'll, we'll be at the shop Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then uh, Thursday morning, we'll then, you know, final scale the car, set it up, load it, um, and then typically fry, fly out on a Friday night and we're at the track. Most races are only there two days now. Some days, some races three, but, you know, straight into Saturday, we practice, qualify. We pretty much stay awake nearly all night working on the setup, you know, the strategy and, uh yeah, race day Sunday, fly home Sunday night and do it all again. So um, Jeez. it's not often you get a day off. You know, you might get an odd afternoon off here and there. But, um, yeah, unless the truck is leaving early to go to the West Coast, uh, you might, you know, scavenge a day off there. But it, it's tough. But, uh, yeah, that's why, you know, the, the couple of off weeks or really last year was only one off week this year we got um, – you know, is is really nice just to get away and, and spend some time with my wife and maybe travel somewhere. So it's it's just grueling, but it's good fun. So. Yeah. I was just going to say, wearing the hat you wear, even when you're off, you're never really off. I mean, you're always on if it's an afternoon. I'm, I'm sure the phone's ringing. Is it, you touched on your, your, your better half there. Is it hard on the home front? I mean, is there time for a social life in season? It sounds as though basically not. There really isn't, you know, and it's been hard on Kat, you know, she's been a great supporter of mine and, you know, I've had to work a lot, you know, to try and, and balance things out better mm. um, and try and, you know, definitely try and make, you know, time at night, you know, getting home from work before I start work again back at home um, to, you know, sit down and talk with her and, you know, it, it's a challenge, but uh, yeah, really the only social life we have is, you know, amongst, you know, the guys on the team, you know, that's why I think it's important, you know, that your team is, such a great bunch of blokes and, and you know i've been blessed with that so um you know we all enjoy each other's companies and hanging out through the weekend and yeah so it's that side is tough and i can't say i have many friends outside of the race team <laughs> yeah there's no time um so jace for those i guess listening to this who might be unfamiliar with the sport and, uh, and the competition i guess the footprint 
that it has in the US in terms of its size and its scope and its reach. What what of the enormity of these NASCAR teams? So your team, Joe Gibbs Racing, runs what four cars in the main series and two in the secondary series as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, four cars, and then we uh, prepare. You know, the twenty three eleven, the Michael Jordan, Denny Hamlin cars. Um, I'll build all the bodies on them. So kind of like six cars almost in a way. And then uh, there's actually four Xfinity cars now. Um, and then uh, one or two Arca cars in a given week. So you know. Uh, you know, our team has downsized, you know, a lot since 2020, but still we're, you know, approaching 500 people, you know, working there. So it's, it's still a hell of a lot of people. And, uh, you know, that doesn't even include the engine side, you know, that, that stuff's all done out in uh, California by Toyota. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big team and, uh, a lot of moving parts to get to the track every week. So what sort of budget are we talking? Maybe per car, like how much does it cost to put a car out there and, and keep it out there? Uh, if you want to run competitively, you know, I, I think the hope was with this new car, the budgets would come down. But to be honest, I, I'd be just throwing numbers out there. But, you know, uh, I that honestly much. don't know. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. So and I don't even know when the driver's salaries come into it. But uh, I, I can imagine, you know, somewhere between 15 and 20 million, you know, you would need to run competitively every year, um, you know, per car. So, um yeah, it's definitely a challenge, you know, the sponsorship world is tough, you know, all around, but still it's a, it's a great product. And, uh, you know, there seems to be a lot more newer guys coming into the sport, you know, to help prop up these teams. So yeah. hopefully it continues. And and not just putting the car and the whole team out there, but of course then picking it all up and transporting over the other side of the country as well. And all the costs I'm sure associated with that would just be endless. Uh, the, the team's headquarters, is it in Charlotte? I mean, how, how big... I was told Timmy Hodges was telling me it's basically like a small suburb you set up out there. Uh, it's rather large. And, you know, uh, you know, there's another building that houses the, the, the Xfinity team down the road, um, you know, but our cup shop is relatively big. It's not the biggest, that's for sure, but it, it's still, uh, it's still up there. So yeah, we're about 15 minutes North of uh, uptown Charlotte, um, you know, where the Panthers and the, and the Hornets play. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really close. We're probably the closest team to downtown there. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lovely place, and uh, they've been there quite a while now. So, um, yeah, lucky to work there, to be honest. Yeah. Okay. You're off and running. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. So if you're thinking you've heard James Small's name before, that's because you probably have. A racer, a Bathurst-winning engineer on these shores preceded the big move to the U.S. So we might rewind a little bit with James after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Aussie NASCAR Cup Series race-winning crew chief James Small is our guest today. So, James, racing supercars. Now, do you ever wonder, did you ever wonder what might have been? Did things unfolded a little bit differently? I mean, you obviously famously tested one of Larry Perkins' V8s. When was that? Winton, I reckon, 2006, the record state. Yeah, that would be correct, yeah. Um, you know, Larry was lucky 
Well, I was lucky enough that, you know, Larry always promised me that if I finished my mechanical engineering degree, he'd give me a test in one of his cars. And, you know, we did that up at Winton then. And, and then it almost led, you know, it was very, very close to leading to it, you know, a drive in the development series. And then endurance drivers at, uh, you know, Sandown and Bathurst. But, you know, it fell over at the last minute. And, funding? Uh, you know, funding, yeah. Funding more so from the other guy who was going to prop me up, who was going to be the other driver. But, uh you know, and that's when I had to go and get a job, you know, uh, at Gary Rogers. And and I actually tested one of his cars after that as well. And and almost he offered me to go and drive there as well, but I turned him down. So, uh, yeah, I do often wonder what could have been. Um, you know, I see what a lot of the people I grew up racing with have, have achieved and it's, and it's impressive. So, uh, mm. yeah, I'm happy with where I'm at, but, you know, I do wonder. Yeah, I mean, these are the sliding doors moments in a journey, aren't they? So, but I guess going back even further, engineering's in your blood, isn't it? Uh, as the son of, I guess we could call him many things. We'll, we'll go with renowned engine builder, Les Small. And you you went on, I think the next year after, so 2007, obviously engineered Lee Holdsworth to his maiden V8 supercars win at Oran Park. So you, your path was then mapped out seemingly. Yeah, it was. And, you know, I, I really enjoyed the engineering part and, uh, you know, I love working with the drivers, um, you know, and I felt like I had a little bit of an advantage compared to some other people because I'd driven the cars quite a lot. And, you know, that really helped, you know, you know, build that language or break down that language barrier, that, you know, engineers and drivers have. So, uh, yeah, it was a hell, a hell of a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, working with Lee was awesome. And, and getting that win for, you know, him and Gary Rogers was, you know, a really great time in my career. So the the NASCAR days back out at Calder, because your old man was pretty pivotal to the, to the Thunderdome, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was right there at the beginning. You know, he, uh, you know, Bob Jane was one of their sponsors, and uh, you know, him and Alan Grice, my dad and Alan Grice, came over and you know ran races here at Charlotte. You know, and uh, they kind of helped you know with Bob bring you know the whole NASCAR thing together out there, and. Um, yeah, I, I remember being there for the first ever race, you know, sitting in a hospitality thing on the backstretch with my mom watching, you know, all these cars go around and gee, I don't know, I think I must have been about five years old or something. And I, I, I have, you know, great memories of that. So uh, isn't that yeah, amazing? It's crazy how it's amazing. Oh, it's wild. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy how it all worked out. And, you know, I ended up over here, you know, so um, yeah, very, been very lucky, you yeah. know, the, the path that's taken me on. Who would have thought a five-year-old um, would be would be now in the position that you're in? So you rise through the ranks. You skip a Ford Performance uh, Racing's big Bathurst winner course for Mark Winterbottom, Stephen Richards. That was 2013, and then and then James, you pack your bags and you head over to the US with I think no job to go to, at least none that I could find. I mean, I suppose the question at this point is why? You know, I. I'd always wanted to come and work, uh, you know, overseas. Initially, you know, I, I kind of had a little bit of aspirations of doing Formula One and, and things like that. But deep down, I always knew after coming to America for, you know, holidaying a little bit, I'm like, I, I need to come and do this. And, uh, you know, I came over here and I think it was 2008 when I went to work for Paul Morris. We bought a car over here and, and did a lot of testing in North Carolina. And, you know, that really whet my appetite. You know, we got to visit a lot of shops, uh, NASCAR shops and, and see, you know, just up close how the technology was and all the tools they had. And, you know, that's when it, I was like, I got to come here one day. But, uh, you know, my main goal was I really wanted to win Bathurst. You know, my dad had done that and, uh, you know, above everything else that's you know that's the crown jewel out there and and even more so than a championship and uh 
you know, once I was able to do that, I knew it was time, you know, made the right decision to leave. And yeah, thankfully I, I found a job over here pretty easily. And, uh, you know, it's just never really stopped rolling since then. Because this, this is a bit like the racing days that what might have been another pivotal sliding door for you. Because looking back, I mean, how big was this decision? The safe option would have just been to stay here in Australia, keep moving on the upward trajectory that you were on. And yet you threw all that out, for lack of a better phrase, almost to start again. It was a, I don't know if you reflect on it often, pretty on paper, a brave call. Yeah, I, I honestly don't. You know, I never really thought of it like that. You know, I I just thought, well, if it doesn't work out, uh, I can come home. But, yeah. you know, it was it was tough, you know, the first, you know, definitely the first 12 months, you know, it was a, as a definite culture shock. You know, we were living up in uh, Winston-Salem, which is about, you know, 90 minutes north of here, and it's a much smaller town. And, you know, we were living in, you know, in Armidale in Melbourne there and, you know, going in and out of the city every week and, you know, living that kind of life. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely hard. It was much harder on my wife, but managed, we managed to, you know, get through it all and, you know, just kept pushing through those first couple of years and then things started to, you know, turn around and got working with better people and better places. And, you know, it's, we really love it. And, uh, yeah, we're just, we're lucky that, you know, we've made a home here now. Yeah, that's awesome. So all these years on then, James, what about this Aussie being such a key player over there? How did the locals cop it or how do the locals cop it? That's a good question. I feel like I get a hard time because I'm from Australia, more from the fans than, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, uh, you know, it's still a good, uh, you know, thing to set me apart from others. You know, a lot of people really enjoy it. Um, you know, I, I still throw a lot of sayings out that people have no idea what I'm talking about and I've lived here for bloody 10 years now. So, um, yeah, it's definitely different. Uh, you know, I don't think, any of the people I work, you know, closely with or the people that know me well would, you know, ever question anything. I think I've, you know, I've really worked hard to get where I'm at and, you know, I feel like I do a good job and work a lot harder than, you know, almost anybody. And, 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 you know, I think people respect that. So, uh, you know, that's the only thing you can ask for. And, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm lucky that it hasn't really held me back. You know, we've got our green cards now and we're set for life to live here. So, uh, yep. you know, they can't use that against me anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's funny, like, as someone who spent a bit of time there myself, I'm amazed at how you've held the accent so so thoroughly. And I, I wanted to ask, with the accent, particularly, I guess, when you're under pressure, are you consistently understood? <laughs> no, I don't think so. You know, I, I think... Uh, <laughs> I think the people I work with on a day-to-day basis, absolutely no problems. But still, you know, after working with Martin now for, you know, six, seven years or whatever it is, I still think he half the time doesn't understand what I'm saying. So <laughs> it's uh, it's it's interesting that, uh, you know, I've got a good translator in my spotter, Drew. He, he knows what I'm talking about and he can translate it <laughs> in the best possible way. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a struggle at times, but, you know, I'm not out there with a, with a, high revving engine in my ears and I'm not half deaf like Martin's. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're all under pressure, of course, which we'll get to in a moment and those split second decisions that have to be made. So that's your accent. What about your language? It it is, how should we say, James, um, fruity at times. Um, How many slaps on the wrist have you received for that? And do the broadcasters ever get angry to the sport? I mean, let's, let's, let's talk frankly here. 
Honestly, no. Uh, I, I I've been, you know, good. You know, I I haven't managed to say the c word yet, so that's that's <laughs> my main thing. So, um, but a few, you know, f bombs here and there. You know, uh, you know, I I think people appreciate that. So, uh, right. and you know, a lot of the drivers have a lot more potty and mouth than I do. So, uh, I, I'm not the only one out there. So, right. Um, Good. Yeah, I think it's water off a duck's back with most people now. Love it. All right. We're with Aussie NASCAR crew chief James Small on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating live. So the race day prep, the strategies, the nerves, the wins, the losses, and all of that and much more to come is after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is a man who chased his dream and is now living it as a NASCAR winning crew chief. We're with James Small. So, James, every race over there in the NASCAR world is just enormous. What level of strategy, and you touched on it earlier, goes into each one? I mean, how many playbooks would you have for different situations out on the track? Yeah, it's... uh... It's difficult. Every every race is different. Um, obviously, every track we run at is is very very different. Just in terms of, uh, you know, the pace you're running. You know, obviously where you start, but you know, just the track conditions and the fall off. You know, the the surface, how soft the tire is. You know, the fuel windows. Um, so it, week to week, it's different. And uh, you know, you have to look back. You have to analyze a lot of the races that have happened in the past, but. The thing about our sport, it can also be very, very random, you know, just with cautions coming out at, at weird times and, and times that might not suit your strategy. So it's almost as if, you know, you can prepare everything you want in the world, but, you know, it could get thrown out of the window on lap five, you know, because something's changed or you've had an issue and, you know, then you have to completely replan your race in in terms of how you're going to get track position back and or you might have to save tyres and, it's just a constantly moving thing. So, uh, yeah, even the best plans in the world can uh, be mm. shot down, you know, straight away. And it's just, you kind of have to ask yourself every lap, you know, what happens if this happens now? What happens if this? And, uh, you know, you have people back at the shop also. We have a war room with a bunch of engineers and strategists as well that are also, you know, helping and providing feedback and what other cars are doing. Um, so you've got people in your ear all the time telling you things and, yeah, it, it's a lot and there's a, a lot of pressure and, you know, it's quite easy. Easily you can make a great decision. On the other hand, you know, you can make one that, you know, in hindsight looks completely stupid. So, uh, yeah, it's a tough gig. Sounds exhausting. Yes, it is. <laughs> it keeps me awake a lot at night, that's for sure. So just that, the human level for you on race days, like this, those split-second calls you reference and, and the often race-defining calls you need to make in rapid time. So – what of the nerves and anxiety? Are they a factor? Are they still a factor for you? Are they, are they getting better over time? Yeah, I honestly don't feel like I get nervous at all. Uh, I don't. I've never really got that, even when I used to race myself. Um, you know, so from that part. But you know, I, I feel like you know the times that I've done a really good job, I've trusted my gut, and it's like a split second decision. You know, and 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 it's been right. You know, times that maybe we've made the wrong decisions in hindsight is when 
you know, you're taking too much input from other people and not trusting your gut. And, uh, you know, I've been definitely guilty of that. And, you know, I've done a good job of not doing that. And then sometimes you fall back into it and you feel like an absolute idiot. So, uh, um, you know, it's tough. You just got to believe in yourself. And, uh, you know, I've been given this job because they know I can do a good job. So, uh, you know, you just got to pump yourself up really and tell yourself you can do it and, uh, and press on and, and don't, you know, you can't dwell on things, you know, you, you need to remember the decisions you've made, but you can't beat yourself up forever about it. Do you spend much time on that stuff, whether it be mindfulness, meditation, whatever it might be away from all that? Honestly, no, you know, I, I really should, you know, I try to spend a lot of time on like wellness and, and keeping healthy and things like that. But in terms of that, that's probably something I should do. <laughs> what, I, I wanted to ask tires, pitting, fueling, countless other things. Well, what do you stress most about most weeks? Is there, is there one thing that sits above the others? Generally just coming down pit road, you know, uh, you know, there's been so many races over the last five or six years that, you know, we've been in such a great position and dominating or having really good days and you get that freak caution all of a sudden. And then now you got to come down pit road and, and, and put tires on and, uh, you know, we've had great pit crews and we've also had bad ones. And, uh, you know, it's, it's frustrating when you can, you can have such a good race and come down and, 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 you know, have something go wrong or, or or a loose wheel or, or a slow stop. And, um, you know, we lost the championship like that two years ago. And, uh, and it's, that's the worst part, you know, it's just, coming to the end of the race, just waiting for a caution to come and <laughs> hoping it never does. Mm. What What's the rush like when it all goes right? Let's talk positively for a second. That rush, that adrenaline shot as happened this year, what's that feeling like? Oh, it's unbelievable. You know, I, I, the winning, winning is the greatest thing ever. You know, you don't, you go through so much and, and you put in so much effort and, uh, you know, it's a tough sport, you know, you've got 36 championship races a year and you've got 40 cars out there every week and you, you, you can't win that much. It's just the reality of it. You know, if you win three or four times a year, that's a good year. You know, it's like, you know, being on the PGA tour or something like that. And it's not like a regular sport, you know, where you're just competing against one other team every week. It's, it's 39 other guys who are trying to take it away from you. So to be able to win and it's just such a, a tough mm. grueling sport and and it's just unbelievable and doing it with really good friends is is just sets it apart so it's uh yeah it's the biggest high ever okay so there's that and what's it like when it all goes wrong <laughs> as also happened this year <laughs> yeah it's, it's miserable so uh you know we've had some bad days and uh but to be honest the same thing we're such a great group of people that you know we can pick ourselves up you know hours after the race and we're like okay we're gonna go and kill them next week so uh you know we all believe in ourselves and that if we do our jobs right that we can be there and contending for wins so uh yeah i i if stuff goes wrong you know i'm mad all sunday night wake up monday morning and mad for a little bit and then uh then you go snap out of it and, and just think about the week ahead. Rip the bandaid off, yeah. So the relationship with with Martin Truex Jr. that we touched on, and you said was solid. I mean, is there an inevitable strain that's going to always exist to some degree between a driver and a person in your position? And 
Is there an ego with a big name driver such as Martin? And does there? I mean, there probably has to be a healthy ego to some degree. We wouldn't be racing at that level. How how was it at times this year? In the good times and the bad times. Um, honestly, you know, away from the track, nothing ever changes. It never has, you know. And uh, our, yeah, it's fun. It's fun to go racing with him. We couldn't, you know, we wouldn't wouldn't want to do it with anyone else right now. You know, he's still you know, after all these years at the top of his game and, you know, if we win, he celebrates with us and we'll drink a few beers and uh, hangs out and, uh, you know, he's great. But, you know, and, you know, the media over here especially loves to make a whole lot of it. You know, if he's getting pissy on the radio or I fire back at him and... Just shut up, you got a feet in front of them. So just keep driving, please. Just I forward. I'm trying, buddy. What we did was correct. Just keep driving, please. You're doing really good. Here we are, buddy. Awesome job, guys. Thank you, man. Love everyone on this team. There was one point in the race where you and Martin were kind of chirping at each other. Is that just normal, or were you like, oh, we've gone a little bit over the line? Uh, it's normal, you know. <laughs> I'm fairly emotional, but uh, I was calm all race, but he was killing me through the middle there because, uh, you know, it's hard. He can't see what's happening in the race as well with the other cars and the lap times and everything. And, you know, I think he thought that, you know, in that second stage there where we ran longer and all that, that, you know, we actually lost a lot of time. But, you know, we gained time and you could see where it was going to go. And, you know, obviously we came from the back after our issue on pit road, you know, all the way up to fourth in that stage. So, you know, we had a plan and stuck to it. And, uh, yeah, I, I already apologized to him for getting on his ass. That's just the way it is. We're competitive people and we're trying to get the most out of it and we want the same thing. And, uh, you know, he, he had to remind people the other week he lost his mind at something about the pit crew and, you know, don't ever listen to what I say on the radio. You know, that's what he said. Like, it's just, he gets out of the car and he's a different person. But, you know, I, I can feel for him. Like, he's in there and he's giving it his all and, and, and things go wrong and he's hot and tired and, you know, just over it. And, and, and it can get frustrating when, you know, it starts to build up every week and, and, and stuff starts to go sideways. So, um, you know, we all feel that frustration as well. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's on a public forum. So people love to, you know, make a big yeah. deal out of it when really it is nothing. Yeah. So perhaps the race radio, it, I mean, those conversations sit in their own realm, don't they? They're not, they're almost not real world in a way. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I feel like even back in the day, if you went back to the 80s and 90s, things were a hell of a lot worse if you were sitting at the racetrack with a scanner on. It's just that, you know, with technology now, they're uh, they're all recorded and open there for the public. So, uh, yeah, it's just that it's the times we live in. Nothing's hidden anymore. So that's Martin. What's it like working for an owner, I guess, James? So in the words of Ron Burgundy, he's kind of a big deal. Now, I refer it to Joe Gibbs, of course, three-time Super Bowl winning coach of the Redskins. He's eight, I had to have a look. He's 82 now. What's he like, Joe? Do you have, is he involved with the team? Do you have much interaction with him at all? Oh, a lot. You know, he's he's there every day. Really? You know, uh, oh, yeah, he's relentless. So, um, wow. He does not stop, even at a man his age. He's slowing down a little bit. You watch him shuffle along the floor, but he's in there and he's uh, he's out at pit practices, uh, you know, talking to all the, the guys, trying to motivate them, watch really? them, you know. Um, he's heavily involved with all the sponsors still and a lot of appearances. Like, he'll fly around multiple, you know, multiple cities a week on his plane and to go and visit, you know, like some of our key partners and do talks and uh, – yeah, and he's at the track every weekend. So um, he's a 
he loves it and uh it's his passion and you know he loves winning as much as anybody and uh you know it's been a hard deal with him you know he's lost you know both of his sons here in you know the past five years or whatever and uh but he just wants to keep it going and he has his grandson Ty there racing now. So uh, it still means a lot to him from the family side as well. Wow. I can't believe how hands-on he is. I was trying to make a, draw a comparison. It would almost be like Lee Matthews sort of picking up a supercars team, buying into supercars or something. Yeah, that's that's kind of a great analogy. So, yeah, it'd be like him going and buying Triple Eight and running yeah. out or something. So, yeah. uh yeah. yeah, it's it's he's a he's a crazy man. So I, he's a pleasure to work with, and I feel honoured to you know just know him, you know, and be in his presence. He's a very religious man too, isn't he? He is, yeah, and he does a lot. You know, he's got his ministry, and you know, we have uh, you know a lot of that going on. And he does a lot for you know uh, you know kids and uh, just a whole bunch of stuff, stuff in the prison system, and trying to help people. And he's got stuff in. Yeah, irons in the fire everywhere wow. and what he does. So I, I don't know how he has, you know, has the time to do it all, you know, especially at his age. It doesn't look like he's going to slow down anytime soon. Wow. So do you guys pray before every race? Um, yeah, my coach does. You know, I, I'm not really of the religious realm being from Australia, but uh, I shouldn't say that. Uh, That's not our go, <laughs> always, to be honest. Uh, yeah, but... Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of that going on, and um, you know, obviously that he prays with all the with the crew guys. But you know, you know, before every race, every week, you know, there's the prayer and uh, the national anthem. You know, for everybody that's standing on the grid as well. Yeah. So you haven't given yourself fully over to that one yet. No, I have not. So um, we'll see what happens in time. <laughs> you're, you're all listening to This Is Your Journey. It's all thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. There's a bit more to come with James Small right after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Today, we've had the company of Bathurst-winning engineer turned NASCAR-winning crew chief, James Small. So, James, it's been a remarkable rise, a remarkable journey. So, you're at the top of your, your chosen field, really, at the moment. Now, as we've touched on often in this chat, life is often tough at the top. It's demanding. It's unrelenting. How long do you think you can do this for? Good question. Um you know, I don't see myself stopping anytime soon. Uh, you know, I just signed another contract. And uh, so, you know, I've got another two to three years in me until they kick me to the curb if they choose. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've I got a lot I want to accomplish here. Um, you know, I love what I do. I'm lucky to do it. And, uh, you know, as hard as it is, I really don't see myself doing anything else. You know, I, I'll kind of be lost. My wife would probably, you know, kick me out of the house. So um, yeah, I... I for the next 10 years, I, I would say I'm going to keep doing this at least. Yeah, right. So obviously this isn't on your radar by any um, way, shape or form, but how often, I'm curious, do the job offers come from supercars teams trying to tempt you back here? You know, of late, not at all. But in the first two, three years, they used to come a lot. They've, um, they've given up. You know, 
yeah, they. I kind of finally told them I'm not coming back, so, and you pay too shitty. So, <laughs> but uh, but uh, budget yeah, would budget I, budget wise, it would be a different kettle of fish. I didn't want to pry too much on the salary, but uh, I, I mean, imagine it. Would it dwarf it? Uh, yeah, I think I think some of the better people get paid there a little more, but you know, I get paid well, nothing like they used to in the old days. But uh, you know, budgets are a lot tighter. But you know, I. I'm I'm doing okay, um, and I don't think I could come home and you know you know earn near the same level of money that you know I can if I'm successful over here. You know it's very performance based as well here, so um, which so it should be to be perfectly honest. So um, yeah, I, from that side, yeah, I need to uh, keep going and over here and you know need the Aussie dollar to stay crappy for quite a while. <laughs> Yes, indeed. You do, anyway. So, uh, while we're speaking in the NASCAR off-season, I mean, what does the rest of it look like? Would you travel back here? I think you came out last December, maybe, for a small period of time. And what are your holiday plans? Have you got any? Uh, yeah, I've been back at work this week already, and then next week. And then, uh, you know, my wife and I are going to go over to Europe, Go to actually go to Ireland, and then go to Dublin, and then go over to London for, you know, a bit over a week so um yeah we good to get away it's nice to be able to travel to europe it's not far here from the east coast so um yeah but no plans to come home this year it's just so far and you know i don't honestly have that much time to to come so uh you know i think we might try and come you know we get actually two weeks off next year the double off week um through the olympics so uh the plan was maybe to try and come there you know and i I don't even know they have hopefully the afl's on there they're not cancelling for the olympics are they because i want to see a footy game we'll keep it going for you i want to get to footy in a moment actually let's get to it now you're you're a big north melbourne fan aren't you now um i must give i referenced him earlier i must give huge thanks to tim hodges for all the time he put into researching for this chat Uh, known in this town for his work on afl 360 tim but the man is also a motorsport aficionado so thanks to him now he gave you uh what would you call it almost a north melbourne care pack a a couple of years ago and do you wear the kangas socks still in the big races for good luck or not yeah so in 2017 I, i i wore them he said, I think that was the first care package he sent me. There's been quite a number. So, uh, but uh, I wore them and we won. And I was like, gee. So I wore them again and we won, I think. And then uh, I'm, I'm putting these away for the championship race. And we wore them and we won again. So uh, I kind of dragged them out, you know, for odd races here and there. And they started kind of not working. So I put them in, in, the, in the drawer and then... Uh, you know, the race before this past weekend at Martinsville was the, was the final race going into that we had a chance to qualify for the for the grand final at Phoenix. And I and I whipped him out and I sent him a picture and I'm like, I had these on. He told me to put him in the fireplace. <laughs> so uh, we had a bad day. You know, we we were running second and sped on pit road and ruined our day. So, uh, yeah, those socks will no longer see the light of day. Just on the lucky socks, though. In the the role that you have to fulfil, where as good as you are and the amount of decisions you have to make, there is a large portion of it where it is totally out of your control. Are you superstitious by nature or have you become so? I'm so superstitious. So, uh, you know, I've got to get out of the bed the right side each day. You know, i got to put my left shoe on first. Uh, I've been through many pairs of underwear and socks and, you know, I think I'm onto a good pair. And Usually what happens, though... I've established that 
when someone brings up the socks or what socks I'm wearing, that's when those socks need to go out, you know, out in the trash. Cause usually after that, everything starts going wrong. And that happened again this year with my Ted Lasso socks. So uh... <laughs> <laughs> you've got to stay a secret. Exactly. So I've learned my lesson now. Now, listen, I know you've got a holiday plan. So just a couple of tiptoe you into the 2024 season ever so briefly. It starts in February after the Super Bowl, of course, and it's a, just a small race uh, out of Daytona. But I wanted to ask you about Shane Van Gisberg and joining the sport uh, in the part-time deal, easy, which which is huge, Joe. It's, it's certainly been it's, it's certainly been big news uh, here for, for, I guess, Australian motorsport fans in general. Um, Shane Van Gisbergen's joining your sport, James. Massive. Yeah, it's huge. It's a, an amazing opportunity for Shane. Um, you know, and we saw him come over here, you know, and do the one-off race in Chicago initially, and he came back for, you know, one after. But, you, you know, I was telling everybody for months that he was going to come and, you know, show everybody up, you know, because street circuits are his bread and butter. And he he came there and did just that. You know, he put on a clinic, you know, you know, he was professional and the way he raced people was courteous and he did a great job. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, he's got a, a steep learning curve ahead of him, you know, just with the oval stuff. But, uh, you know, I think if anybody can do it, it's going to be Shane. I was going to ask you about that quickly. So the difference between the street circuit of Chicago and the ovals, like how big of another leap is that James for Shane potentially? Yeah, it, it's huge. You know, um, obviously the car we run now is is the same on the oval and the street course. Um, you know, very, very similar and similar feel, but very different tyres. And, you know, the oval tracks are also different. And there's so many little nuances to them in like just, you know, in, in line selection and how the track changes and, you know, what it does in traffic and, you know, little bumps and cracks and things you lines and like just so many little things that, you know, these guys, especially like Martin and, you know, that have been doing it forever, they've built up this knowledge bank and, uh, you know, that's hard to overcome. You even see it with some of like, you know, the rookie drivers here, you know, it, it's a tough thing to, to learn and get up to that speed. So, uh, you know, I feel like if he has the right people around him and, and, and gets good advice and, and, and a good tutoring from some good drivers, I think, you know, he might be able to shortcut a lot of that because mm. he definitely has, you know, the natural talent and, you know, that. So, um, yeah, I wish him all the best. And, you know, I've told him anything that he needs or whatever, I'm happy to help him with. And, uh, yeah, I, I hope it works out for him. Awesome. And great for the, I guess, the popularity of the sport here as well. He's going to get a heck of a lot more coverage now with, with Shane running around. So ultimately that's all good as well. Uh, James Small, great to catch up with you. I mean, yours is definitely a life lived in the fast lane. It's a fabulous journey, mate. As much, I guess, for having the guts to chase the dream as it is for actually living it like you are at the moment. So well done on everything you've done, everything you're doing, and we appreciate you sharing your story with us. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You can jump online there at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.